Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. I invite you this morning, let's go together, Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 8. Today we will be in verses 13 through 18. We'll finish uh, this chapter in our study of Nehemiah. You will recall that Nehemiah has come to the end of a building project and the work has just begun. I love crossing off uh, projects. We have a lot of projects going on around the house and around the church. I like to take them from the to be done to the finished side of the ledger. When it comes to lives, and we talked about this together in small groups, when it comes to ministry, when it comes to parenting, our work is never finished. It's always a work in progress. There's always something to pray about. There's always something where an area that we can grow in. In today's text, we get to day two. Remember, day one was six hours of reading the law of God and preaching. Now, I'm not going to try to compete with that today, but there may come a day. Uh, there may come a day of a six-hour service, and God is doing great things in the life of Israel. It was time for a new, uh, a new year, a Jewish new year. There was to be a celebration. It was known as the Feast of Booths, and Though it had been celebrated here and there throughout Israel's history from when they entered into the promised land, they had not done it ever like what we're going to see the way it happened in Nehemiah chapter 8. It was a a perfect time to rest, stop going through all the, the busy details of life. Do you look forward to the Lord's Day when you're not going to the job? You're not going to here and there and run you're going, you're going to worship, and you set the things that, let's be honest, when our time comes, somebody else will do what we do. And it puts perspective on life for us to say, what's most important? I will go and worship. And even better, when you can go camping and worship. Pretty soon... 75 is going to be filled up with campers, right? Going up north, the parking lot. If you come back at the wrong time, it's a parking lot coming back. So here might be your text for, Pastor, I'm going to be gone a week or two camping. But you have to take the whole congregation to really use it as your text. Everybody, let's go camping. This is a beautiful display of what happened in Israel These people were ready. Bring out the book. That's what they started with. Ezra goes, gets the book. He preaches. People are leaning in. They're listening. Then they're crushed. They're convicted. Then last week we saw that that Nehemiah, that Ezra, that the priests, the Levites, they could all say, hey, stop crying. Let's celebrate This is a good thing. We heard the word of the Lord. We have looked at at this God and how holy and righteous he is. We're his people. We're going to 
discontinue living in sin and let's live in obedience. Now, here's what we're going to do. Let's get the choice meats and the sweet wine and let's celebrate the goodness of God. Well, what about the people that weren't ready for the picnic? Share with them. Let's potluck. Let's do it. And that's what they did. Now it's day two. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 13. On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses, of all the people, with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua, or Joshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was a very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. This is the word of the living God. This morning, the title of the message is In Remembrance. It is a fitting day as we will be observing communion together today, which is exactly what Jesus told his disciples to do. Do this in remembrance of me. So we're going to see from this text three characteristics of a spiritually healthy community. Something is at work now. The building project is done but the work in the hearts and the lives of men and women and families, it's just beginning. What are three characteristics of a spiritually healthy community? First of all, number one, the men of God lead together. They lead together. This is where it begins, loved ones. This is where it starts. This is where you see the leadership of the heads of the father's houses and they take seriously their responsibility knowing what they have been taught and what they've been hearing from the message. I will stand before God one day. They knew they would stand before the Lord, before Yahweh, and they were his people, given his word, delivered by him. And so the heads of the father's houses, they realize 
this needs to move all the way to the top of my priorities. Everything else has to take a back seat to me leading my family well. And that's what they do, and they do it together. Second day, heads of fathers' houses, all the people with the priests and Levites, they came together to Ezra the scribe in order to, here's the point, bring out the book. Teach us the book. I want to know when I stand before my family, some of us as men, our wives are, are well-learned and maybe even came to faith before, before we did in life. And so we have to play a little catch-up. We've got some work to do. These men put themselves in letter A. They gather to study the word of God. This was, this was what they came together. What has God said? Ezra, open the book. Bring out the book. Tell us, what has God said? We need to know this. Men are designed by God to lead well by loving well and serving well. A biblical portrait of headship and submission is that of men leading the way Christ led. Oh, how did he lead? Not with a scepter, thumping people on the head everywhere he went. He led by taking his garment and setting aside and putting on the slave's garment and washing the feet of his disciples. And therefore, with the leadership of the church, he said, now what I've done to you, you can't, and therefore everyone else under you, no one can ever say, that task is beneath me. Jesus crushed it in humility and in serving so that it's taken from our mouths and from our hearts any claim to, I can't do that for Christ and his kingdom. Jesus said, as I've done to you, you do likewise. I'm leading the way I've set the example. To love well is to love God all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all your soul. And Jesus said, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And often when we think about the law of God, we think about uh, don't commit murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal. But the first table of the law is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your heart. Put God first in everything all the time. That crushes us all, loved ones. We're not just talking about the things that I have done or haven't done to other people. We're talking, have I put God first in my thoughts, attitudes, and actions for my whole life? No. I need a redeemer. To love his word, to love his people, to love sacrificially, God commanded the Israelites in Deuteronomy 6, you teach this when you get up, when you walk by the way, when you're putting your kids to bed at night, this is to be constantly before my people. Who's going to do that? Men. That's the plan of God, to lead, to love well. The family is the building block of any society. 
The condition of the family is a glimpse into the overall health and future of that nation, of that society. Anything that would destroy or damage or end the family is from hell. Let's just be clear about it. Because God is the creator of, and sustainer of all things, so everything that attacks marriage, that attacks human sexuality and purity, it's from hell. It's not from God. And everything that would come against it would have people living in a confused state to not understand, why am I here? To know God, to love God, and to enjoy him forever. And that's the only way to have a joy that will last forever. So what does Satan do? He offers lies upon lies upon lies, which leaves people searching for love in all the wrong places and never finding it. Because no person, no human being can ever fulfill what God alone can fill in us. Eternity is set in our hearts. God put it there. And so people will try everything and will never satisfy. Studying the word of God, passing it along to the next generation, loved ones, it, it requires discipline. It's a great discipline. A failure to exalt God over and above all, even and especially before our family, that will lead to the ruin of a nation. A self-destruct mode. God is to be exalted over and above our reputation, our entertainment, our career, and our recreation. That God is first and God is worthy. Uh, thinking this week of men setting their heart to study and remembering sitting at the kitchen table with Russ and June a long time ago, asking Russ, would you, would you come and help and serve with our, with our youth? He said, oh, no, you've heard this story. Oh, not me, but I'll be there next to Mama June. She's the youth leader. She'll, she'll teach. And then the day came when June couldn't teach and he swallowed, okay, and he began to teach. What did he have to do? He had to do what these guys are doing. Set himself before the word and study. What do men prioritize? What do men commonly talk about? The answer is whatever they love. If they love golf, they're going to talk about it. If they love the outdoor world, they're going to talk about it. If they love their wife, they're going to talk about her. Their family, their church, their God, the word of God. Whatever men love, if you're around them long enough, you're going to hear them talk about it because they love it. You ever watch some of, the, some of these folks? Surely never me at a, at a, at a, at a sports game, sporting event. People on the sideline, they got nothing to do with the game except make noise. And they are cheering as if they just scored the, the, the basket or the touchdown, right? Like, yeah, like I did that. I helped. My cheering helped. Maybe it did a little. Can I make that application, men? Do we, do you love God? Do you love his word? Do you love his church? Are you like these guys who gather to study the word? You see, our schedule, our checkbook, 
our calendar, all of it either supports the claim, I love God, I love his word, I love the church, or they nullify the claim. Like, we just have to do that work before the Lord and with the Holy Spirit's help saying, Lord, you help me evaluate my life, my schedule, my time, my priorities. The spiritual leadership of Israel, they gathered with other men to help them grow in their understanding of the word of God. And there's a camaraderie there, there's a fellowship there, and it's developing. What they are about to face is going to be difficult. They've got spiritual heart work to do. There's going to be some difficult conversations and confrontations that are going to happen in the rest of this book. It'll leave Nehemiah at the end saying, Lord, please remember me. I don't think anybody is going to remember me for what has happened here. So into your hand, I commit my spirit, my life, my cause. Who does that sound like? In the Old Testament, the heads of the father's houses. That's significant. Why? Because they would take it home to the other fathers in those households to teach. Do you understand? You see why we have small groups? Do you understand how that plays out, that it's not just coming for Ezra or Nehemiah, but it's then teaching, and Ezra would teach other men, and those men are responsible for their families, and they go home, and they instruct their families, and those families grow up, and here's this perfect week of camping that sets the environment. It's just like a kickstart to it all, a refresher, a reset. And there they gather, and the priests are there, the Levites are there, and they're all under the oversight of Ezra the scribe, and he opens the book. This is a Deuteronomy 6 model here in play. In the New Testament, pastors and teachers and elders are given to the flock for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Well, how does that happen? What we're doing right now. That you are growing in the word of God. You're growing in your understanding of the word. As you open the book, you look at the book, you say, is that what the book says? Is the person delivering the word or is it their opinion? Because here's the, here's the leverage that comes. When you, rec when you reckon that this message is not made up in the mind of wise, this message is coming through the mouth of wise, through his life, from God, through his word, then it puts an obligation there. Will I, do I understand it? Will I line up under it or I, will I live in opposition to or in ignorance of or rebellion against it? That's what happens every time the word. And, and fathers, as you preach that to your, you teach that to your families, you live that before you, it's the same thing. You cannot make your children embrace the gospel. But by God's grace, we live and we tell of the gospel and our talking doesn't get canceled by our living. That's so important. So we worship together, we walk together, we gather. I'm thankful for our small group leaders. They're involved in this, in raising up and equipping the saints. It's where we raise up other leaders coming through small groups. Faithful in the little things, faithful with the handful of people and entrusted then with more and raising up and investing into other leaders. This is, this is God's plan. Acts chapter six and verse four, when, when the church was 
There was a great risk here. There was complaining. There were Hellenistic widows that, that were not being taken care of. The danger was that the, the apostles would all stop studying the word and go serve t- meals, 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 meals. And then the church would gather and they don't have anything ready spiritually. So what they do, Acts 6.4, but we, and here's the apostles, the church leaders, because there were faithful men who took care of those other areas of responsibility that were important, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. We'll be servants to prayer and servants of the word. Do you hear biblical leadership there? We are slaves to prayer and the word. Can you serve meals? This is the church. This is where Jesus said, you're not supposed to fight over power and influence in the church. That's outside the walls of the church. Everybody does that everywhere, politically, in, in, in jobs. In the church, lead by serving, lead by loving, lead by sacrificing. Oh, may God help us to do that. Paul instructed the Ephesians about this. Remember now the church at Ephesus, a great church, great leadership in this church. I mean, the best of the best. You've never had a pastor like this church had. I've never had a pastor like this church had. John, I mean, they had the Hall of Fame pastors. And what does Paul write to them, Ephesians 4.11? And he gave, so these are gifts. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, you might say missionaries, church planners there, the shepherds and teachers. That's, that's the responsibility that, that I'm entrusted with. Why? It's God's gift to you. Why? For what purpose? 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. See, if the church understands he is put here as a gift from God for me, then you're going to be thinking differently as you listen to the message. You're going to be listening with the intention of where is this going in my life and for God's glory? For the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Verse 13, where is it all going? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. When am I done preaching? When we all are to the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ, that will be heaven. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children, he uses an analogy here, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Okay, what's, why is he saying that in verse 14? Because with a child, you can say, oh, you know, outside the window, is, there's a, you know, a dinosaur outside your window, and the kid's going to go, well, where's a dinosaur outside the window? Ha ha, gotcha. I thought there was a dinosaur. Yeah, I mean, try that on a you know, middle schooler or a high schooler. They're probably not going to look. Like, eh, what'd you say? not buying it. Nice try, dad. Okay? Why? Because they've grown up. They don't fall for the, they don't fall for everything. That's the point that when you're brought up, when you're trained up, when you're grounded in the word of God under healthy teaching, 
that the, the next person on TV or the next post on Facebook or the next thing on social media or wherever it might come from on the radio, you aren't just like, whoa, that was really, and whoa, over here and whoa, over there and all of the date setters and all of the things that just go up and down and up and down. And everybody connected to that person that says they follow Christ, they get tired of hanging on. Like, I was trying to follow you. You had me there and then you lost me. And now you've really lost me, so I've just stopped listening to you. Tossed to and fro with every, you know, next administration that comes in and all over the place, the economy and the stock market. And the, you know what I'm talking about? So Paul is taking this seriously, that there's a gift to you, and it's the shepherds, the pastors, the teachers that God has given to you so that you can grow up. Not by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, 15. Rather, okay, so instead of just being all over the map, verse 15, let's put this in place, was what Paul is saying. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into, who are you talking about, Paul? Christ. So he's taking your eyes, put your eyes back on Jesus, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part, so we're back to the body analogy, is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We're right back where we started. How do we grow strong? You cannot apart from the word of God. You cannot apart from the people of God. I can't tell you, you know, I, 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 I want to, you know, chop off my pinky, set it on the counter, I'll check it in a week and see how it's doing. It's part of a body. The body is going to miss it, and it's going to miss the body. It's not going to have any control. It's not going to have any sustenance apart from the body. It's disconnected. Letter B, these men gathered to strive to understand the meeting. What did God mean? Okay, we, we, we see what God has said. Let's study his word. What has he said? Well, what does God mean by what he said? There's a dangerously unhealthy approach to scripture, okay? I want you to be built up here. Whenever you catch yourself saying this, Whenever you hear someone saying this, I want it to trigger the, the alarm bells, the, the red lights, danger, warning. It's when someone says it like this, you know, well, what this means to me is, or another one, well, what I feel that this means is, warning, warning, it doesn't matter what I feel that it means. It doesn't matter what I think that this means. What matters is what did God intend when he authored it? Once I understand that, then I can move into application of, so then how do I respond to what God has said and what God, now that's where it takes the work to know what, well, what did God intend? What did the author intend by this? That's through exposition. Exposition is, here's the text. We read the text. What does it mean? What does it say? We try to read it accurately. A little challenging on some of the names. 
Okay, but we try to read. We do the best of our ability to read it, to understand it. What has God said? Now, there are some areas of Scripture, and you say, well, Pastor, you know, you've been studying a while. Do you have the entire book? You understand all of it? I can bring any question from any book anywhere. Let's hop into Revelation for a moment, Pastor. You big guy, let's see what you have there, right? Okay, so there are some things that we will study, and they're worth our studying. But our minds will never fully fathom or comprehend all that God is and all that God has said and will do. But he's given us all that we need for life and godliness. Deuteronomy 29, 29, Moses said this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Well, what might be a secret thing? When is Jesus going to return? When is time? Well, when is that time? When the Father says, go. Okay, the secret things, Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children for how long? Forever. Why? Purpose clause here that we may do all the words of this law. You see, there are some who they get lost in the first part of that verse, the secret things. And they're always talking about the mysterious things, the hidden things. And they'll read the next book and they'll talk about the next thing. And, they'll go, and they're just always spinning in the hypothetical what might be. And you're like, yeah, but do you realize what God has said right here that's plain and simple? Oh yeah, I don't have time for that. If I don't have time to obey the plain and revealed things, why would God ever reveal to me something that's a, a little more difficult or secret or hidden? When he's given me the plain, husbands, love your wives. So I don't have time for that, but I'm studying my Bible. God's not going to honor that. I'm in 42 Bible studies. Haven't seen you in church in a while. Well, I'm going to get 43 Bible studies going. It doesn't help. There are some plain things revealed. Then these men moved into the next stage, which is always the state of any Bible reading, any Bible study, any sermon, help one another apply the teaching. How should we obey? They're, they're there. Ezra's teaching the Word of God, reading the law of God. They're going through it. They're being reminded of who God is. They're being reminded of the holiness of God, the character of God, all of his expectations for his people, how he called them. And they come upon this command in verse 14 that they're not keeping the Feast of Booths. This is a problem. And they realize, uh-oh, Ezra, you just read something there, and we're not doing this. So possibly, and it's in, a, it's in several locations in the Old Testament, but Deuteronomy 31, uh, it'll come up on the screen. This is where somewhere they're in a passage and Ezra is reading and Moses commanded them, Deuteronomy 31.10, at the end of every seven years, at the set time in the year of release, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, so think about, they're, they're hearing this and they're saying, 
This was delivered before they ever entered the promised land through Moses. Here comes this instruction. The Lord will choose the place. And at the end of seven years in the Feast of Booths, you're going to get together there. Where are they? There. They're in Jerusalem, the place that the Lord chose. And they were out of the land, brought back to the land. We're here. Verse 11, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord God at the place that he will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Okay, so if you're in the Bible study and you're the heads of fathers' houses and you say, yes, uh, we, we have done that, that's wonderful. Uh, we're, we're, well, we didn't do that completely. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns. Those are the strangers, the foreigners, the visitors that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God. And be careful to do all the words of this law and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. Now, don't you think that would have caught the people's ears as long as we live in the land? If the Lord's giving us this land, what do you mean as long as we live in the land? If they would have been reading this and paying attention to this as the prophets were preaching this and they in the northern kingdom ignored it and then in the southern kingdom ignored it and they were sent into captivity and now they're reminded it wasn't because our God was weak or our God failed that we were put out of the country to Assyria, to Babylon, to Persia. It's because we disobeyed our God. It's because we didn't honor his word. And these men had to say it was because of us. We didn't set the Lord before our families. We set everything else before our families, but we didn't set the Lord before our families. You see, it's a society down on a small, the cell, the building block of the family. And these men are saying, this is on us. This is the problem that starts with me. They immediately, in verse 15, call for obedience. They learned something. We're not doing that. We've gathered, but there's no booths built out there. So immediately, they say, Let's, can we do this, Ezra? Is it a good break point here? Yeah. Okay, send out the word. Okay, so the heads of the father's houses, through all their houses, they sent the email, you know, or maybe it was snail mail or pigeon mail, whatever it was, posters, word of mouth, it goes out. We're going camping. All right, now I love this at Lake Ann. Uh, there's different programs, and they land on the site where they're going to camp, and they get everything situated, and then the, the leaders call everybody together, and they say, all right, go out and get all the wood you find and bring it in. We need firewood. Don't cut anything down. Just bring all the stuff that's on the ground. And pff, like ants, they all go out, you know, and they come hauling stuff in. That's what it looked like, thousands of people, and they get the word, go get stuff for tents, for booths, all these different materials. The command is from the Lord, so they obey him. The command is for every one of God's people, so they proclaim, they publish this word everywhere. This is for the wealthy people. This is for the poor people. This is young people and older people. This is male and this is female. We're all going to be reminded we're just pilgrims here. This isn't our final home. Whatever, however nice your home may be, it's, it'll be somebody else's home in a matter of years. That's what the Lord is telling his people. Go get some sticks and some branches. 
Do you know who I am? You know how much I have? Get you a little tent, put it on your roof or in your front yard, or join us up at the tabernacle up, at, you know, on the hill. But yeah, you too, buddy. Huh. Who does the Lord think he is? Wait a second. That sounds blasphemous. Exactly. This is command is precise. And this command is for God's glory and the good of all peoples. Put yourself in the shoes of a foreigner. And all of a sudden, you see the really, really wealthy businessman, and he's going out next to the guy who, you know, cleans up after the donkeys as they go through the town. And they're all headed out like, hey, how you doing? Good. Yeah, you're cutting off a branch. You're good. And they're talking. And suddenly, all of that socioeconomic division is just leveled. They're brothers. They're in a family. They're in a nation. They share, and they're part of a God who loves them both the same. And they have different important functions in that society, but in value, they are the same. You see the value of this. There's somebody who's in town, and they're watching all of this unfold. And like, what are you? What are you all doing? This is what happens when someone's baptized. What are you doing? And you tell the story. I didn't know Christ. Who's Jesus? Hmm. Well, and you answer. Born of a virgin. He's God in flesh. He died on the cross for me, for all sinners. It was trust him. He was buried and he rose again the third day. Well, that's good. Really? Yeah, and he saved me. What does that mean? I'm a sinner. Sin pays death. I'm, I was headed to hell. And he opened my eyes. I could see he's glorious and I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And I trusted in him. I confessed him as Lord and Savior. Huh, who's that for? That's for everybody. Me? Yeah, you too. Understand what they're doing. They're going out collecting branches and people are like, well, you know, hey, dad, what are we doing here? Uh, we're going to get some sticks. What's the kid going to say? Why? Because Ezra and the guys up at the meeting, they say, go get some sticks. Why? Because it says so in the Bible. Why? Because God said so. Why? Let me ask your mom. <laughs> because we used to be slaves in Egypt. Why? Do you understand where this is going? Well, because we used to be in this land and, and there was a famine and then Joseph was betrayed by his brothers and sold to Egypt. Why? We'll get back to that. And then he was in Egypt and then we all went to Egypt and we were there and then another king, another pharaoh rose up and he didn't fear the God of Israel, the God who created all things. And so then Moses came and said, let my people go and we're those people. And God delivered our nation from under his mighty hand and leveled a city through 10 plagues. And we got to the edge of the Red Sea and then he opened the Red Sea and our ancestors walked through on dry ground. And then they got across, this is amazing, Dad. This is unbelievable. Our God did this, yes. And then what happened? What happened? And they, they all got to go into this land? No, they didn't. They started complaining and doubting God. And they brought idols with them. And God saw it all. 
And they complained, and then it was time to go in, and they sent 12 spies, and 10 came back and said, no, we're not doing it. The giants are big. And two, Joshua and Caleb said, we need to obey God. And the 10 and everybody else said, stone those guys. And they said, you can do what you want, but we need to obey God. And those were the only two that came in under Joshua. And this land was conquered. And we were supposed to, just like in those 40 years, our people, will, they just wandered through the wilderness living in, in, in tents, in temporary shelters. That's what we're doing right now because God delivered us from Egypt and he delivered us through the wilderness. He took care of us in a wilderness and he brought us into this land and he defeated all the other nations and all the other gods and he is our God. You're gonna help me bring that branch. And we're gonna sit in his goodness for a week and remember well, what happens? Number two, the people of God follow together. And this is in the verses 16 and 17. This is where it goes. Okay, the men of God are leading. They step out. Then the people of God, they follow, and they follow together. This is where it's going. It doesn't just stay with the men. It moves out into the congregation. It's headed somewhere. What is the design of the elders to gather with men one Saturday a month of this church? Right there. Let's get under the word and let's carry it out to our families. Do you think that all of those men were not busy men? You think that those men were like, well, I don't have anything else going on. I'm just the head of a father's house, you know, no big deal. They got there. They made it a priority. They, they understood and they made arrangements. This was important. Well, what happened to the people they follow? And what are they doing? Well, they're focusing on the word of God. This is where it's going. There's an immediate application. They come out of the meeting, like, Let's, we gotta go get stuff. We gotta go get some branches, leafy branches and palm branches and pine needles. It's gonna smell good. You know, the city's gonna look green for a week. And then what happens to all those branches? It's about time to go. All the leaves start wilting. Here's your firewood. We got to head home now. You can have it. We're done with it. We'll see you again next time. There's immediate application here. They build these booths. It says here in our text, if their, if their house had a flat roof on it, okay, that was common. Middle East, they used a flat. You remember when David looked out and there's Bathsheba bathing? Flat roof. That city. Stairway up the side. Jesus is teaching. They break up the, the top of their roof and they lower the guy down. That, that, that's it. We're talking, there's a roof. They're on the top and they camp out on the top of their roof. It's a parapet. Be around that top. Little guardrail all around the top so you can fall off your top of your house. Some of them, well, we don't have that on the top of our house. It won't hold us up. So we'll, we'll be in the front yard. Okay. Don't your kids, you remember doing that as a kid? Like, I'm camping out. How long did you last in the night? Like, I heard a sound. And everybody's back inside the next morning, doors locked, you know, lights are on everywhere. In the courts of the house of God, there was a place provided for the temple and they could gather there. In the square of the water gate, in the square of the gate of Ephraim, they were all doing this, everybody. They're one. 
There's unity here. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. Why? Why, Dad? Because God said so. He commanded us to do this. Okay. Well, if God said so, let's do it. And what are they doing, these people? They remember the salvation and the preservation of God. This is what they're remembering that whole week. They're remembering we've sinned. They're thinking about Genesis. They're thinking about the garden, the disobedience and kicked out of the garden. They're thinking about all of these. God chose us, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're thinking about the rescue. They're thinking about their disobedience. They're thinking about the conquering. And they're thinking about we rebelled and we rejected our God. And he sent us into a foreign land, but he brought us back. What God does this? What nation has this ever happened to? That they were dissolved and restarted. This is God's people. He's not finished with them. And it doesn't stay there. Because as they think about his salvation and his preservation, they're not yet home. It's not the full consummation. We're there. We've arrived. There's something still we're waiting on. There was a promise that God made to David that on your throne, your seed will reign forever. And now we don't have two kingdoms. So, so there were two kingdoms. They were taken into exile First kingdom, northern kingdom went first into Assyria. Second king, uh, the southern kingdom went into Babylon. Now they're, all of the kingdom and the division was gone. When they came back, all of those tribal things were gone. They came back and it was all like the, the era, you know, erasing the whiteboard. And the Lord is like, now let's go back to the basics again. You're my people. I am your God and they have no earthly king now. It's God. And they have his word, and they have Ezra, and he's teaching them, you're my people. But they're still waiting. There's, there's a promise still coming. Where's, where's this Messiah? He's coming into this city, and he hasn't come yet. And this is what Nehemiah, and this is what Ezra's been preparing. We have to be ready. Prepare the way of the Lord. He, there's still a promise hanging out there in the balance that we're waiting on a deliverer. We've been delivered, but we're waiting on a deliverer. Well, where would they come up with this? Well, Moses said it, Deuteronomy 18, 15. The Lord, your God, will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. There's a prophet coming. He's going to come from among your people, like me, speaking the word of the Lord, but not me. You didn't listen to me, Moses would say. Listen to him. Listen to him. So what would the people do then? Celebrate the goodness and grace of God. Celebrate. We're right back to this, like, let's sing, let's... Let's hang out. Let's rejoice in the goodness of God. He's worthy. We're needy. And this celebration was unlike any before it. He delights in saving sinners, and they were rejoicing in his salvation. 
This was a fresh understanding of how good and merciful God is to his people. To all who would come humbly and worship him. So the Bible says here, there was a very great rejoicing. Last week we saw they made great rejoicing. Now there's very great. This is take it up a notch. They're celebrating. There's great rejoicing. This is a result of repentance, and that is sorrow gives way to great joy. Beauty rises up from the ashes. Weakness is replaced by the strength of God when we learn to wait on the Lord. Now think about it. When Naaman had leprosy and the servant girl said, oh, if you were in my home country, the man of God, he could heal you. And he goes. And he gets there and Elisha doesn't even go meet him. He just sends his servant, he's like, go tell him to dip in the Jordan, the muddy, nasty Jordan River. Go dip in that river seven times. He won't even come talk to me. Does he know who I am? I'm the commander of the armies of Syria. And he couldn't even come to the door. And he starts heading for home. There's plenty of beautiful rivers in my home country. I'll go, I'll go dip there. And somebody, his servant's like, hey, boss, we came all the way here. Like, didn't, you bathe in them rivers all the time. Look at you. <laughs> They want your ear. Come on, buddy. Listen, let's go back. Okay, he goes back. One time, two, three, four, five, six. No change in his skin. What is he doing? He's putting faith into action in the word of God, and he goes down in the water seven times. He comes up, and the Bible says his skin is like the skin of a baby. Seven, this number of completion. Here they are, seven days. Maybe on the first day, what are we doing? Second day, we're still doing this. Third day, fourth day, fifth, sixth, seventh. It kind of draws it out. It makes you stay. You ever camped for seven days? This is waiting on the Lord. This isn't we camp for a few hours. I've done that. That's no fun. Pull in a campground at night, leave before dawn. That's miserable. That's a lot of work for nothing. You don't get to sit by the fire and enjoy it. You're just like, in, we're sleeping here, and we're gone? Like, should have just kept driving. Seven days. What does Isaiah say? Think about the context here. Because the people of Israel would have said this, and sometimes we, we find ourselves saying this. Isaiah 40, verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, And my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord, wait for the Lord, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Are we good at waiting on the Lord or are we too busy? Do you remember what I said last Sunday? I I believe and I fear for many people who call themselves Christians, if God were to send revival, they don't have time for it. They're too busy. There's too many other things in the schedule to actually be there and end up like Thomas. Jesus was here. Really, you weren't. 
but in his grace and mercy, who showed up again? Jesus. Come here, Thomas. Yeah, Thomas, come here. You said what? Put your hand, your fingers into the nails? Go ahead. You said you wouldn't believe until your fist is in my side? Go ahead, Thomas. Blessed are you for seeing and believing, but let me tell you about the blessing of the people who will not see my hands and my side and my feet and my face and my brow, and they will believe through your word. And we have the word of the living God right here. Is it in here? Well, then what happens now? The whole community of God worships together. This is where everything ignites. This is where, so the men are leading, they're studying the word of God. What has God said? And then they take it out and and the people of God are following together. And now suddenly this is where it all ignites. And it just comes down into verse 18. The book was read. Ezra, day by day, he's reading from the first day, second day, third day. He's just reading. He's teaching. He's preaching. He's expounding the the word of God to the people. He's teaching the heads of the father's houses. Then they're going out and they're, they're in their booths. They're in their little shelters and they're talking about the goodness of God and they're talking about the grace of God. They're talking about the promises of God, the ones that he kept and why they were sent off into captivity and then he brought them back, but he's not finished. And we're waiting and coming into this city, children. Coming into this city is going to be a son of David. We're waiting on him. He's coming to deliver us. The feast was kept seven days. They're talking about the past. They're talking about the present. They're looking forward to the future. They just stop all the busyness. People of God, listen to me. Look and evaluate your schedules. Help loved ones evaluate your schedules. Are you you committed to the most important eternal reality of who God is and who his church is that Christ loved and died for his church? There are people, loved ones, as elders between this month, this communion, and next month, we have people that are missing, that are our brothers and sisters, and they have come into membership here and said, I will commit to be a faithful part of this body. And they have not been here, some of them, for over two years. And we have endeavored to be understanding with COVID and the pandemic. Some are worshiping online and connected that way. Some are not. As a church, Jesus said, go, and as a church, go get them. You know them. They're your brothers and sisters. You said that you shook their hand. They joined. Where are they? In love, call them back to commitment. that other things have come in and taken a priority in their lives. And those are the things, and I've said it so many times, they'll stand before the Lord one day. Oh, may we humbly hear and respond to this word. There are some who have not partaken of the Lord's table in months and even years. Do you know in the early church, if you missed communion, you were excommunicated? That's how seriously they took gathering, doing what Jesus said to do. When you come together, do this in remembrance of me. The Holy Spirit is the one to take the word and apply it to our hearts and lives. 
but it's important that we actually stop and we think that the lion of the tribe of Judah is coming and they would be thinking about that. This assembly was solemn. That's what it says in verse 18. This assembly, it was a solemn assembly according to the rule. There was celebration, but there was a weightiness about this. It's the glory of God. And no, I've said this, this is where when pastors are only just funny and light and positive and positive, that's in all the bookstores on self-help. There's a weightiness to the burden of the word of the Lord. And so it weighs on the one preaching and it weighs on the people. But this weight brings forth life and joy and wholeness. So we don't run from it. And that little word there, according to the rule. Now it's going somewhere, and we're going to see this unfold in in the 400 years between this time and Jesus coming, that when Jesus shows up, they're so concerned with the rule that they miss the ruler. They're so preoccupied. So here's the law, and what we see is like, okay, so... So uh, I'm a head of a father's household and I'll be there and I'll be there and I'm going to learn it all. And, and then what they start doing is it starts becoming rigid and they say, well, if that's the law of God and we're to honor the Sabbath, then they, invel- then they develop what's called the fence of the law. And if we put our rules over here, we'll never break the law of God because we'll be way over here. And then by the time Jesus comes, all they know is the fence, their own rules, their own traditions, their own procedures. And what does Jesus say to them? He does not say, good job. You tried. No, it's similar to what he said to the Ephesian church in John 5, 39. He said, you search, and he's talking to the religious leaders that were wanting to kill him. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. I made it to every Bible study. I never missed one. Okay. Maybe good. It is they that bear witness about me, Jesus said, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So you know all about Moses? You got it memorized, he said, listen to the prophet that's coming after me. You're not willing to come to me. And these, your scriptures, Old Testament and New, it's all pointing to Jesus. Why? That you may have life. So what are these characteristics? The men of God, oh, give us this kind of community, Lord. May we pass this on to the next generation. Men of God lead. This is where it begins. People of God follow. This is where it extends. This is together the whole community of God worships and this ignites and other people are watching and they're saying, what's going on? What's going on in there? Can I be part of that? Where do we see this in the New Testament? Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which so clings so closely. As we come to the Lord's table, loved ones, this is what we're saying. This is what the word of God is saying to us.
Is there sin in your life? Lay it aside. Is there disobedience in your life? Lay it aside. Wrong thinking? Confess it. Forsake it. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You have to run your race. I cannot run your race for you. I can't run my race for my wife or my children. I have to run my race and you have to run your race. Where do we fix our eyes then? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And where is he now, loved ones? He is not in this can, this tray. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And they were in the tent saying, Messiah's coming. And we're sitting here today on this corner in this building saying, he is coming again. He came. They weren't misguided to say, he's coming, children. He's coming, loved ones. He came. And they missed him, most of them. And they crucified him. And he rose again. And he's coming again. So we take this prayer and we say, God, will you remind me, remind us of your grace once again, your great love expressed in Jesus. And then will you use us together individually to bring this love? Where? Where does this love, where does this message need to go today? Let's bring it there. For the glory of God and the good of all peoples. Will you stand with me? Father in heaven, we hallow your name. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for the word made flesh. You revived these people in their day 2,500 years ago, and you, Jesus, came and walked this earth 2,000 years ago, and many missed you. The point of all Bible study is you, Jesus, and many missed you. But not everybody. There were those whose eyes were open and their hearts were made ready, and they repented and trusted in you. So God, we thank you for what you have done in the past, and we are asking you to do again in me, in us, in us as a church family, in our community, in our broken world. Oh God, use us for your glory. Send revival as we respond in obedience to your word and we invite all peoples come to Christ. Worship Jesus. He's worthy. He's worthy. He is worthy. We remember you. And we invite and ask you, Lord, do it again. Revive us again for your glory. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.